3: Damn it, our wedding was easier than this podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
4: We've had a week.
3: We've had a week. It's been a week. I fell down the stairs. Yes, you did. Yes, uh, on my own.
4: Yeah, it was completely (laughs) on. You
3: were were not even in the building. No,
4: this is not one of those, like, quote, unquote, like, oh, she fell down the stairs. No, I was not even, I was six blocks away.
3: And Georgie was in the other room, by the way, just in case there's anybody a little
4: suspicious of uh, that little girl, our little dog. She's a shifty little thing. But no, Georgie was also completely innocent. (laughs) This was just an accident
3: that's what we want to do here transparency <laughs> okay we're gonna be very transparent and uh, let me start by saying because I know the topic we're going to talk about is it's actually very important near near and dear to my heart uh-huh. okay so um, but I also know that it is also important that it's not just about me-huh so you know and, and everything going on in the world and everything and I, and I want to do a little something to help so I'm thinking I'm gonna donate twenty dollars. Okay? okay. to the charity of your choice.
4: All right, to my, of my choice?
3: Yes, because there's a lot of places that kind of need some funding right now. Great. And $20 every time I say, as a woman. <laughs> All right? Because those charities need funding. Do- <laughs> All right?
4: I agree to your proposal. All right, I'll, I'll hold you to this. All right, perfect. <laughs> Welcome to No Dogs in Space, everybody. My name's Marcus Parks.
3: I'm Carolina Hidalgo.
4: Now so far this season we've been focusing mainly on bands that featured nothing but dudes, but that's not necessarily because there were no female front punk bands or even all female punk bands.
3: But at this time females definitely existed. <laughs> Especially by the 70s. Okay, I'm, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> Continue.
4: I mean, there just weren't a lot of these types of bands. In America, you know, we had Susie Quattro, who we were talking about in our Ramon series, yeah. you know, starting around like 74, 75, around the time of Sweet and all that. But we also had a group of teenagers playing something close to punk in Los Angeles, a band called The Runaways. Yes. Who, despite being somewhat engineered by outside forces, still fucking. Rocked.
5: They rule! yeah yeah Can't stay at home.
3: great song for like you know i don't know ice skating queens and strippers <laughs> if you go off to that song oh that's great
4: <laughs> then of course you had patty smith who we're gonna talk extensively about later while she was terribly important though especially to the band we're covering today she was a lot of times more poetess than punk yeah over in the british scene which is where we'll be spending the vast majority of our time today there were bands at least fronted by women, the best example of which being the incomparable polystyrene of the X-ray specs.
3: Peter (laughs) Kinney. Thank you, thank you.
4: But as fantastic as X Ray specs are, it's still British punk with a capital P. And we've certainly covered our fair share of those types of bands so far. With this series, we figured we'd cover something from that scene with a little bit more of an avant garde edge. Now, some might say that this band that we're covering today stylistically doesn't really fit into the punk category. And if you have an extremely narrow definition of the genre that reduces an entire movement to hard, fast and loud, I'm not going to argue with you.
3: We're just going (laughs) to (laughs) judge.
4: This band might more comfortably reside in what you'd call experimental. And that's a classification this band would probably be more comfortable residing in as well but they were still a firm part of the original British punk scene right alongside everyone else. This band was a part of the first successful British nationwide punk package tour right alongside The Clash and The Buzzcocks, and they did it as an all-female group in a time when that was borderline unacceptable to both some fans and the general public.
3: Especially the way they presented themselves because, you know, there were like girl bands like Fanny. Yeah. Right. The American Filipino girl band. They had a top 40 hit in 1971, but they kind of presented themselves a little bit differently.
4: Yeah. Very pretty, wearing dresses, non-threatening. Right. But not even taking gender into account. This band we're talking about today still made music that was far more interesting, strange, and original than any of the other bands of that time. And the musical lineage that could be traced directly from this band is arguably more compelling. Without this band, it could be argued we wouldn't have Sleaterkini, Bjork, Bikini Kill, Yeah Yeah Yeahs, or Sonic Fucking Youth. Just Kim Gordon not existing without the sleds. It's also Thurston Moore. Thurston Moore lists this band as a huge influence. However, paired with the groundbreaking music was a shared attitude and style that is still reverberating throughout the entire world today. A sort of anti fashion that was at the same time confusing, original, and terrifying. In 2020, seeing how they looked and how it correlated to how they were treated, it sounds like an exaggeration. But remember that it wasn't too long before this that women were arrested for wearing pants.
3: (laughs) Not even the lack of pants. It's because of pants.
4: Because of pants. Like, that was maybe 30 years before this. 40, 50 years. Like, it wasn't that long in the past.
3: Oh, man, the old days when it was so easy to offend someone. Now it just takes so much Time and
4: energy. (laughs) So much effort. In the famous words of former member Viv Albertine, people both within the punk scene and without didn't know whether to fuck this band or kill them. Now, like Suicide, this band might not be everyone's cup of tea. In fact, some of you might downright hate the music. But also like Suicide, this band's story and their music are both extraordinarily important to the history of punk, even if this band isn't widely known. Ladies and gentlemen, we present to you, The Slits. Hell yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> Before we get into the story, though, let's acknowledge our sources. We've got Typical Girls by Zoe Street Hall, Close, Close, Clothes, Music, Music, Music by former member Viv Albertine, Boys, Boys, Boys. Oh, it's Boys, Boys, Boys.
3: Close, Close, Clothes, Music, 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 Boys, Boys, Boys.
4: Ah, Boys, Boys, Boys. I see. <laughs> and the documentary Here to Be Heard, all of which are great documents of the band and the era.
3: And a little bit as an aside, I guess, if you want a little bit more of a retrospective on the, the London squatting scene and the clash and, and as well as the slits, uh, Squat City Rock by Richard Dudansky and uh, artwork by his wife Esperanza. Esperanza. That's an interesting read.
4: It sounds really good. That sounds like one of those that's sort of under the radar. Uh, that sounds like a really cool fucking document of like what was going on on the ground at that time. Yeah. The smells.
3: Yes, the smells and all. You get everything. You actually step in something while you read.
4: So when it comes to the slits, it could be argued that the whole thing was atypically started by the drummer. So let's start the story with Paloma Romero, who eventually came to be known as Palmolive. Paloma was born in Spain in 1955 under the rule of dictator Francisco Franco. Or, excuse me, Francisco Franco. (laughs) who tended to stress that a woman's place was in the home to the point where women couldn't even testify in trials or open a bank account without a co-sign by a husband or father.
3: Just to be clear... Paloma wasn't personally under the dictatorship of Franco. (laughs) It was the whole country, okay? Sorry, it's just the first time I read the script, (laughs) I was thinking, but but Daddy Franco, Daddy Franco, all my friends are going to the Tashi station to pick up some converters. And he's like, no, not until you're done with your chores of shooting dissidents on (laughs) site.
4: (laughs) <laughs> no, not personally. She did not live with Francisco Franco.
3: <laughs> no, she was in, uh, I think she was in Málaga, which is the south of Spain. Mm-hmm. So this is a little, good to do.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she was, she was still, like, she grew up in that environment. You know yeah. It was a weird, yeah, Franco Spain was a weird fucking place. As such, Paloma and her sister Esperanza moved to London in 1972, where things were at least a little more relaxed Even if England in the early 70s Was not what you'd call freewheeling Society wide
3: (laughs) Yeah Paloma and Esperanza They they were called the Piranha Sisters
4: That's cool as shit That
3: is kind (laughs) of (laughs) cool Well Esperanza went first And then she came back and she's like Paloma you got to check out London. Yeah. And then, yeah, so that's what happened. Paloma went with like, I think she borrowed like a 100 pounds and she just went there with an address, uh, uh, an address of a friend of a friend. And she just showed up and she's like, hey, can you help me out here? And you know what? They did. They got, they helped her out. They they let her crash for a couple of days while she got herself sorted out. She found a job in Piccadilly Circus trying to, you know, I think she was washing dishes at her place mm-hmm. and eventually, you know, made her way into... The punk rock haven of that time.
4: <sighs> <laughs> well, as we've covered extensively in our series in the Damned, England was in a bad place economically throughout the 70s, still recovering from World War II economically and the Nazi blitz structurally. Now, quite a bit of London was rebuilt after the Nazis bombed it all to hell, but real estate developers, in a move that should sound familiar to Americans today, sat on the vacant properties waiting for them to increase in value, instead of renting the houses to regular folk.
3: That was actually the GLC, the Greater London Council. So that's like actually London's municipal count, uh, like
4: yeah, corporation. Oh, so th- this is the City of London saying we will not rent That's even worse.
3: Also, <laughs> some of those places, a lot of that, you know, those homes were also owned by the Church Commission. Just sitting there.
4: The Catholic Church was also denying hu- housing to people.
3: I'm going to get shot. <laughs> but, you know, th- this is all history. This is all real thing. Because, you know, there were a lot of people at that time that, you know lots of immigrants or and or people in desperate need of housing you know others were young teenagers students runaways who wanted who wanted to live free so some people needed it as a necessity and other people needed it a different kind of necessity like they needed to be free from their homes they needed to be free to do whatever they want to do and create whatever they wanted to do
4: yeah it's not fucking it's not fucking easy you know and like a lot of london was destroyed you know just a few Uh, just a a couple of decades earlier you know it takes a long time to build back from that shit and even after they built back from it like no you have to stay at home with your parents because that property isn't valuable enough yet we wouldn't fucking put up with that here no (laughs) so since these homes were just sitting empty for years on end while the population lived on the street hundreds of post hippies slash pre punks said fuck it what's the use of homes if no one's living in them and they moved in without paying rent Yeah.
3: (laughs) And they would have to fight with the GLC about that, actually. Like they even like uh, counteracted with uh, not the punks, GLC, like they would come in and they would like pour cement into the toilet bowls. So that way you can't use the bathroom. They would disconnect the electricity. And you know what the punks did? they just would start a little fire they would pee in the corner i mean they're like, or they would learn electri- like how to be an electrician and plumbing and they they gained a lot of skills actually it was it was a pretty good idea
4: yeah it's a great idea man that's fucking insane i would rather destroy the toilet in this fucking house rather than let someone live in it i would rather burn this down than let you live here for rent with <laughs> <laughs>
3: they're like let us pay let us pay for it uh, they, they could pay well you know you never know
4: you never know you never know now the Scott where Paloma ended up spending most of her time was at 101 Walterton Terrace and one of the musicians who lived there was demanding that all of his friends stop calling him John and start calling him Woody in homage to folk legend Woody Guthrie.
5: That old dust storm killed my baby, but it can't kill me, Lord, and it can't kill me. That old dust storm killed my family, but it can't kill me, Lord, and it can't kill me. That old landlord, and it got my homestead, but it can't get me, Lord, and it can't get me. That old dry spell killed my crop, boys, but it can't kill me, Lord, and it can't kill me. God. I love Woody Guthrie so much. I know you do.
4: (laughs) Yeah, you remember the other day when I was telling you about the Dust Bowl and I almost started crying? Those are my people. Yeah. That's my fucking ancestry. Like, Woody Guthrie, the fucking Okies, hell yeah. Like, it's like, fuck you, Dust. Fuck you, Dust. We're <laughs> not- <laughs> like, I, I, I get how kids in London in the early 70s, like, listen to Woody Guthrie and listen to these protest songs and listen to all this shit about, you know, telling the establishment, fuck you. I'm not going to lay down and die. I can see how that struck a chord. You know, I can really Mm. see that. And I mean, it is a little goofy that, you know, this guy was like, call me Woody now. (laughs) (laughs) That's goofy, but it's a kid thing. we always remember this when we're talking about this, when we're talking about that this music and these bands, we're talking about like 20 year old kids. Like, so if it's goofy, remember how fucking goofy you were at 20. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Both of us. Now at this point in history, 1974, some of the early punk bands were getting their feet wet in the pub rock scene, and 101 Walterton Terrace was where one of the more impressive pub rock bands got their name, the 101ers. He doesn't say fart, fart, does he? No. <laughs> heart, heart. <laughs> you know what
3: they used to call themselves? They call themselves El Waso and the 101 All-Stars.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, waso <laughs> El Waso and the 101 All-Stars. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then,
3: and then they change it to the 101 All-Stars because El Waso left.
4: Uh-huh. And, then,
3: <laughs> and then luckily the 101ers.
4: The 101ers keep it simple. Yes. Yeah. Now, astute listeners might remember that band from our series on The Damned as being the first group of Joe Strummer, leader of The Clash. Well, as it turns out, when Joe Strummer was in the 101ers, he was the guy who called himself Woody. And Keys to Your Heart is actually about Slit's drummer, Paloma Romero.
3: Oh, they, Aw. They, well, they, they they had a thing going on. They yeah. lived together for a very long time, actually. Like, in the beginning, when, when the 101ers were taking off and everything... And that was around the time where she was, Paloma was also thinking, like, I need to do something with my life. I enjoy going to my boyfriend's gigs,
5: Mm
4: -hmm.
3: but I need to do something for me.
4: Yep, exactly. And, of course, Joe Strummer dating Paloma Romero. If you've ever wondered why Joe Strummer seemed weirdly obsessed with Spain... That's why
3: Yes I mean Spanish bombs (laughs) You know I mean that's not about her exactly No
4: it's not about her But But she's an influence Yeah she taught him about What what was going on in Franco Spain You know like she She was a big influence on Joe Strummer Like songwriting wise And what Joe Strummer wrote songs about
3: Yeah I mean she even took him to Spain Like on holiday Yeah And then he later Much later Married a Spanish woman I mean some guys are just obsessed With that kind of thing
4: You get a taste for it What can I say (laughs) (laughs) of course all these pre-punks like Joe Strummer didn't spend all their time in squats in 1975 they started gathering at the home of a newly arrived German named Nora Foster who just moved to London with her 13 year old daughter Ariane see it was only natural that Nora should hang out with musicians upon arriving in Shepherds Bush in London because in West Germany Nora was in the music business having worked with Hendrix, Barry Gibb and cream it's
5: getting near dawn when lights close the tired eyes I'll soon be
4: Saying that nothing in England was cool before the punks. I mean, goddamn, Cream was awesome.
3: Yes, Cream was <laughs> awesome, actually. But Nora, you see, the thing is like Nora's family, they came from money. Yeah. Because uh, I think it was Nora's father or Ariane's grandfather. Who owned the, the the German newspaper, like the the the, the Der Spiegel? Uh, you speak German. Der Spiegel. Thank you.
4: Which is still one of the biggest newspapers in Germany today. I mean, it's like Der Spiegel is a big fucking deal. <laughs> 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 if she's the, if she's an heiress to uh, Der Spiegel fortune, she is. Uh, then tch, they're fucking loaded.
3: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. She was able to. You know, use that money to to do what she wanted to do. She promoted concerts, and you know, worked with mu- musicians, like you said. You you named a few. You, ma- you named uh, what, Jimmy Hendrix, mm-hmm. Barry Gibb. She dated them.
4: She dated Barry Gibb from uh, Barry Gibb. He's in the Bee Gees. Yes, yeah. before he
3: was in the Bee Gees.
4: Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Before he was in the Bee Gees, but and then, she dated Hendrix too, huh? Yeah.
3: And then as soon as she brought you know her daughter to uh, England, I heard a little story that she uh, she actually lived with uh, Chris Spedding for like a few years. No they shit. had a relationship
4: oh that makes sense chris spedding's good I, I like chris spedding yeah it's good music
3: <laughs> so she moves to london she brings Ariane, uh, who was only 13 years old like she actually pulled her out of boarding school like a posh boarding school <laughs> and brought her there and like this is where we live now in shepherd's bush and chris spedding is my new boyfriend and he's gonna live with us for a few years as well <laughs> and the cool thing is thanks to that money ari was able to take piano lessons and so she was actually classically trained she learned how to read music Mm -hmm. you know and in that house like she also like she was around a lot of musicians still Nora would have a lot of people coming in and out Remember the four Johns we talked about in the Sid and Nancy episode? Yep. The four Johns would hang out there. that That's uh, Sid Vicious, John Gray, Johnny Rotten, John ja Wobble. I mean, a lot of people coming in and out. And Nora was just nothing but nice and just feeding them and letting people crash if they needed to. And she was just so nice. I mean, some people said we were kind of like being dicks to her because yeah. we were like, oh, you're so old. You're so whatever. <laughs> but she was just so sweet. And she had like an open heart and. Eventually, she did find love right there.
4: Yeah, she married Johnny Rotten.
3: Stayed together for 41 years.
4: Still together. Yes. Still together to this day. Yeah, even the Johnny Rotten's, what, 13 years younger than her?
3: I think about 14 years, yeah.
4: Yeah, yeah 13, 14 years. But one of the guys that was hanging out there all the time was Joe Strummer. And Joe Strummer actually taught Ari how to play guitar. I mean, can you fucking imagine that, learning how to play? I mean, at the time, Joe Strummer wasn't like the best was guitarist. was almost
3: he, Woody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wasn't that impressive quite yet. Yeah,
4: not quite, not quite yet. Like, I'm not getting, yeah, you're being taught by Woody. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Ari, we'll get to Ari in depth later. Justin and so
0: good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find?
1: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw
4: now, 1975 was a big year in the punk scenes, both here in New York and in the U.K., because that was the year that saw the release of the first album from either of those scenes. In November of that year, Arista Records released Horses, the debut album by the legendary Patti Smith.
3: Johnny his knee, started crashing his head against a locker, started crashing his head against a locker, started laughing to stir me when... Suddenly
5: Johnny gets a feeling
4: love to play that whole song but it's nine and a half minutes long
3: it's really long there's several <laughs> parts to it patty smith describes it as wild boy imagery uh, fused with the stages of hendrick hendrick's death
4: yeah oh no shit i yeah, didn't know at that at the
3: end at the very end Hendrix dies and then <laughs> it's like it's like the death and the birth of rock and roll i'm i don't know i'm not sure i'm not as eloquent as patty smith but yeah. i mean uh, she, she she made this work i mean it was all in her head i mean she did a great job i mean you know john cale produced i mean he had his hand in it too but man yeah.
4: and lenny k of course oh, and lenny k yeah. <laughs> or yeah lenny k the guy who doesn't know he's our friend
3: yeah he has no idea that we talk about him all the time because we ran into him and never said a word
4: i've run into him three like times three times yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now this album was fucking revolutionary for many of the people who heard it. Like, Patty Smith was a, she was a revelation to a lot of people. Like, it was a woman, like, just fucking going up and saying, like, this is who the fuck I am, this is the music that I'm gonna make, and I don't really give a fuck what anybody else says about it. But it had a particularly large impact on the future guitarist of the Slits, Viv Albertine.
3: Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, it, it meant everything to her at that time. Because Viv Albertine, at that time, she was she was very young, you know, she she was barely thinking even about being a musician. She was obsessed with music. I mean, she started out like loving T-Rex, of course, and and David Bowie. Of course. Uh, she even went to go see David Bowie play at the Great Hall at Imperial College. You know, the one uh, in 1972 where, where David fell when he tried <laughs> to do the Iggy walk, with, you know, walking on hands. Yeah, and- was,
4: yeah, he was trying to recreate the show where Iggy was walking on everybody's hands and looked like a rock god, looked like the coolest fucking place, looked like the coolest fucking person in the world, and then just
3: just he found out
4: what core strength is about
3: yeah <laughs> and it's like there weren't enough people <laughs> too close but she saw that and she was she was amazed still i mean even though he still looked like a rock god to her she saw that this this rock god could fall too yeah <laughs> you know she could do it too so she you know went to work at dingwalls remember dingwalls, dingwall's. Moans played everybody played there she worked there for a few months. Uh, she uh, finally got some money from a grant to go to Hammersmith College of Art uh, to study fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that it was there where she met Mick Jones.
4: Uh, Mick Jones, of course, the guitarist in the Clash.
3: Yes, and this was before the Clash, of course.
4: This is probably was, around London SS time, right? When Back when he was still in a band with some of the members of the Damned?
3: He was trying to get a band together, yeah. So he cool. was going in and out, figuring things out. Apparently he was making a lot of calls on the payphone trying to get a band together. And when Viv first saw Mick, oh, <laughs> she liked his style. Like, she's, she liked how brave he was. Like, he would just wear whatever he wanted. She had a gut feeling that they were meant to be friends. Mm-hmm. And they were. Because uh, when the Patti Smith album, Horses, came out on November 10th, 1975, she went to the record store and ran into Mick Jones just hanging outside the store. And she asked him, like, Hey, what are you here for? And he said, "To get the new Patty Smith record. I'm in love." She goes home. She plays the Patty Smith record. She's just mesmerized. I mean, this album was what like a lot. What a lot of people needed to feel that encouragement that they could just put themselves out there. Like how the music and the words feel so like deliberate. Yes. And vulnerable, but like not weak. It was just inspirational you know making art on your own terms right there's no rules there's no motives just just be honest and that's what viv albertine loved about patty smith patty smith wasn't a prop or a novelty cuz she is a girl Patti Smith was making it on her own terms for better or for worse and to take that kind of inspiration in it and, like, you know, interpret it in your own way. Yeah. And for Viv, she felt that, like, bravery. She's like, I can express myself that, that in the way I want to. And so if I fail, I can still pull it off, even if I fail. I mean, look at David Bowie. <laughs> that album, like, gave her strength to be like, I could maybe do this. No, I could definitely do this.
4: <laughs> well, I mean, I can also see how, like, the cover for Horses, Just was inspirational. Like just looking at it, because Patty Smith looks so fucking cool on the cover. Like she looks so cool. She looks confident, but she also looks normal. Like she could be like any. Like you look at that. Like I would imagine someone looks at the cover for Horses and thinks, like she looks like me. I can fucking do this too. Yeah. Now, in 1975, Patti Smith was pretty much the only artist who had released anything that could be considered punk, aside from the Dictators, of course. You know, Dictators go girl crazy. Right. But as far as I know, the Dictators didn't really make a big jump over to the UK. They barely made a splash in America.
3: I know. I'm saying, like, did they even get to New Jersey? (laughs) (laughs)
4: Barely. (laughs) Well, sure, you had the Stooges and the MC5, but those albums had all been released five or six years earlier. Like, the studios in the MC5 were the past. Things started changing in the UK, though, when bands like The Damned and The Sex Pistols started playing shows. And Viv Albertine was there to see the Pistols in particular.
3: Yeah, that was December 5th, 1975. Uh, she went to go see them at the Chelsea School of Art. Uh, she went with her friend Rory because Mick Jones didn't want to go because that's his competition and i rather <laughs> rehearse. Which I understand.
4: I get it. I don't really listen to other podcasts. I totally get it. <laughs> yeah.
3: So, the Sex Pistols, at that point, they'd only played a handful of gigs. So, this is just a local scene right now. And she watched the band play, and she just, all she could do was focus on Johnny Rotten because he looked like a regular teenage kid. He didn't look all glammed out like David Bowie or even like Mark Bolin. He was just a normal looking guy who was fronting a band with supreme confidence. Unapologetic, not giving a crap what anyone else thought, and he was mad. <laughs> I
4: don't give a I don't give a crap and what I, you I, think.
3: I want to be mad. <laughs> <laughs> Viv said she couldn't remember what they sounded like, but she, what she got from them was like a very important lesson that she could do it too.
4: Yeah, it's visceral. That that was the thing about those early Sex Pistol shows is that that's what everyone talks about was how visceral it was. It's like it wasn't even really about. Like, oh, this sounds so fucking cool. Like, this sounds like the type of music... It was more like just a visceral feeling of being able to see somebody go up on stage and go,
5: yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna point
3: at all of you. No one's pointing at me. I'm pointing at you. Yeah, and it's because of that Sex Pistols concert, she decided at 22 years old to buy a guitar. After, well, she got an inheritance from her grandma Freda. Unfortunately, her grandma passed away.
6: Yeah.
3: And <laughs> so... You know, Viv's like, okay, I can I can just spoil all this money on whatever crap, or I can get a guitar and get serious. Yeah, so I think she, she
4: called it a "fuck you" guitar.
3: Yes, <laughs> uh, Gibson Les Paul Junior, and it cost her two hundred and fifty pounds. Which, me- yeah, her inheritance was like two hundred pounds. Yeah. So she was like, "What do you mean I need a case?" <laughs> and obviously, just like they did with uh, Johnny Ramone, did the same things. Like, just give me a shopping bag. <laughs> <laughs> she got like a cardboard thing, and she just carried that around as long as she could. And she just kept holding it, thinking, like, I don't care what people think about me. Oh, okay, okay, I really care what people think about me. (laughs) But you know what? I'm not going to let these negative feelings stop me at all.
4: Yeah. And because she was dating McJones, McJones taught her how to play guitar in conjunction with Keith Levine. Yeah.
3: Keith Levine was really, like, giving her the lessons.
4: Keith Levine was another, like, he was a founding member of The Clash.
3: Yeah. Yeah. and, And an old friend of Viv Albertine. But he did sit with her and show there are a lot of things, you know. Viv felt, felt comfortable because Keith was already a friend. So she knew that she wasn't going to feel stupid. And Keith is like, okay, I have very clear rules. Always start with the guitar tuned. Uh, yeah, let me, here, let me do that for you. You, you actually, <laughs> this is lesson one. Okay. All right. Always have clean hands and never go more than three days without playing. Great advice. Damn good rules and then he goes we're not going to bother with chords and scales <laughs> we're not we're going to teach you how not to play <laughs> <laughs> and she was practicing and practicing. You know, she was trying to find the right sound for her. Like it, like. And this happened to me once. She actually got a complaint from her neighbor. Her neighbor uh, like knocked on the door. It's like, hey, Viv, can you just quit it now? You're no good. <laughs> You're not gonna. <laughs> she, I, and it's really annoying everyone here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and that's the thing. Like Viv was like miserable, and I and I get that. I remember taking guitar in eighth grade she was miserable she had no natural musical talent and when she practiced she hated it you know she wished like she was like why does everyone else practice and they all look happy yeah. you know <laughs> everyone starts to get better at least she wished she liked doing it like she wasn't having any fun at all but even though she wished all these things she still kept going
4: because it's what she wanted exactly that, that's what you call discipline that, I mean that's what she had she had fucking discipline and that's what's necessary no matter what you're gonna fucking do now, while Viv was learning how to play guitar, Paloma had discovered drums after she lied about being able to play in order to gain admission into a local London mime troupe. <laughs> and she had to figure it all out on the job.
3: If you lie to a group of mimes, you're fine. <laughs> you're, you're totally fine. Actually... Feel free to lie.
4: Well, uh, you also got a question. Is like, what's going on in my life where I have to lie to a (laughs) mime (laughs) troupe? Or like, that's like the next step. Like, in order to fucking like reach the next step in my career, I have to lie to these mimes. (laughs) This is where we are now. now. Of course, the mime gig didn't work out. But pretty soon Paloma, through her connections at 101 Walterton, was playing drums in an actual punk band called the Flowers of Romance with the pre-Sex Pistols, Sid Vicious and Viv Albertine.
3: Yeah, so what happened was, you know, Viv had her new guitar. She was taking her lessons and she was just hanging out with Mick Jones because they were full on dating at this point. And she's walking down the street and she runs into uh, Sid Vicious and Johnny Rotten. And then she quickly like lets go of Mick Jones's hand. (laughs) (laughs) Like kind of being like, I need to be my own person. I don't want to be so-and-so's girlfriend. I get it. Yeah, totally get it. And so she just starts, they're all chatting. And then in the conversation, Viv's like, oh, yeah, I just bought a guitar. I'm thinking about, you know, I, I don't know, forming a band. And Sid Vicious looks at her in the eye and says, I'll be in a band with you. And she's like, "What? <laughs> That's great. I mean, this is just Sid Vicious.
4: Yeah, this is uh, this is before Sid Vicious was Sid Vicious. He was just Johnny Rotten's friend. Yes. But, <laughs> like at this point, he was still like he was still mad about being named after a hamster.
3: <laughs> so, uh, so the, you know, they get together to meet uh, to meet up, and they you know they start the flowers of romance, which Johnny Rotten came up with. Like, it's ironic, isn't mm-hmm. it?" And then he, even Keith Levine like sat in for a few rehearsals, and but that didn't really work out. So then Sid's like, "Do you know anybody?" She's like, "Yeah, I know a few people." So she called up her friend Sarah Hall, uh, who I think was Paul Cook's girlfriend at the time, and you know to play bass, and Paul Moliv, yeah. Paloma, yeah. to to join as well as the drummer. And Sid would just be on sax.
4: Yeah, because Sid doesn't know how to play anything.
3: Yeah, he's just messing around <laughs> with a saxophone. And then later he's like, you know what? I don't need this piece of junk. I'm going to just sing instead. Yeah. And so they rehearsed in Joe Strummer's basement for like five or six hours at a time. And after a few rehearsals, Sid decided to kick Paul Molliv out of the band because in his words... She just wasn't right.
4: Nah, it wasn't the whole story, though.
3: But the truth was <laughs> <laughs> that he came on to Palmolive once wh- when they were alone together after rehearsal. Sid was like trying to be cool and stuff. And he said something really shitty to her. He's like, I hate blacks. Yeah. And then so Palmolive looks at him and says, I hate people who hate blacks. And Sid... I, I, he's young, he's an asshole, he's total asshole. Yeah, he's
4: a dynamic t- 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 is a bad person. Trying I mean, to be <laughs> shocking,
3: trying to you know, I don't know, try trying to be alpha about it, and yeah. then she kinda shuts him down. Then that's the next rehearsal, he's like, Yep, Palm Olive, you're out and then soon enough, uh Sarah was out too. And then eventually Viv was out. She found out when she was hanging out with Johnny Thunders, because Johnny Thunders is like, I got bad news for you. Uh, you're about to go get Fired from this band, yeah. so she shows up. Says, "I'm sorry, you just can't play." I mean, which was true, but <laughs> Viv was so hurt from being kicked out. But luckily, Palm Olive was super pissed she was kicked out, which yeah. is good because she was like, "You know what? I'll start my own band, one with girls, so I don't have to deal with this macho bullshit." So she got herself a proper set of drums and looked around to find someone to start a band. With.
4: <laughs> no, why? Why did she like? Was why was she called Palm Olive?
3: Oh, it's because uh, oh, Paul Simonon. I said it you right. You got right it!
4: First fucking try. Well, hell yeah! Uh, <laughs> sorry. I,
3: I've yet to master every word in the English language.
4: So remember, English is your second language.
3: Paul Simonon. <laughs> I'm on a roll here. Uh, he asked her what her name is, and she's like, "Oh, Paloma," and. He's like, what, you mean like Palm Olive, <laughs> Like the soap? And she's like, yeah, I guess that's my name now. Sure. Yeah.
4: <laughs> now, in mid-1976, Patti Smith came and played at the Roundhouse in Camden, which was home to some of the most legendary punk shows in the early days of London. We've talked about Roundhouse shows with the Dan. We talked about it with the Ramones. Everybody fucking played there. But this one was famous for being where the Slits found their lead singer. While Patti Smith was playing, Paloma and her friend, guitarist Kate Chorus, who they've decided to work together, they're on the lookout for more women to be in this band. They ran into Nora Foster and her now 15 year old daughter, Ari, in the middle of a horrific, screeching argument. Yeah.
3: <laughs> she
4: was like just kind of throwing a tantrum,
3: right, saying, like, fuck it, this, and fucking Nora, you ruin everything. Like, she was live
4: it yes she lost her shit while most people saw only a bratty teenager ruining a concert paloma saw all the great makings of a lead singer the way ari was losing her shit physically the way she was fucking screaming so she walked up to ari and asked her if she wanted to be the lead singer in her new group that's fucking insane that's
3: insane
4: (laughs) I mean foresight on uh, fucking Paloma's part that is very intelligent but I know god damn
3: I mean like I would first ask I don't know know—Patty Smith (laughs) (laughs) no no he she centered on this 15 year old girl because she just looked at her she's like wow she is not shy (laughs) we need that
4: yeah we need we need someone who's not shy we need someone who can command a stage and she took a big fucking chance and it worked The very next day, that new group began. On drums was Paloma, Kate Chorus played guitar, Ari sang, and the mysterious, hard-drinking Susie Gutsy was on bass. All they needed was a name.
3: Yeah, Kate Chorus came up with the name. Uh, The Slits, you know, they liked it because to them it had many meanings. Like, you know, it can mean, like, slashed up, Punk fashion, you know, something aggressive, or what they call in England a woman's vagina—a
4: fanny—a
3: fanny—a <laughs> fanny. It was aggressive. It's confrontational, but simple and memorable, which is important.
4: Yes, uh, yes, yeah, slits is a very aggressive name for vagina. It's like a uh, gash. Yeah, you know, like, I've heard gash. Yeah, before. yeah, g- axe wound. <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's a new one. <laughs> I think that'd be more like a butt thing.
4: <laughs> you make a good point. Well, yeah. yes, yeah, Slit is it's a fucking it's one of the greatest band names of all fucking time. It's such a great name. It's so evocative, you know. And uh, yeah, it also had a, a different meaning with like, you know, Ari up because, uh, you know, Ari eventually that was her name. Ari up. When, once she became lead singer of the Slits, that's what her name was. Mm-hmm. Uh, she actually got stabbed. Yes. Uh, like, a couple of months after they had, the, they came up with the band and came up with the name, like, some fucking dude walked up behind her and stabbed her in the back and said, Here's a slit for ya. And then... Whoosh, and God. Thankfully, the her jacket and her fucking jeans took most of the fucking damage. And
3: it was in her butt. So, luckily, that, you know, has anyone's butt has enough padding (laughs) to keep you from bleeding out and I I don't know why he did
4: that Yeah, I don't know why the fuck he did that either but that's the other thing too is that uh, in a later show one of the members of the slits wore the pants that Ari was wearing that (laughs) fucking night. There's Uh, a picture of that There's a picture yeah yeah, there's a fucking picture of it it's cool as shit (laughs) and before the slits even got a gig or really did much of anything outside of rehearsal an article featuring the band was written by punk journalist Vivian Goldman. Who also happened to later be a member of underrated one-hit wonders, The Flying Lizards.
5: The best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. I want the money. That's what I want. thrill, but your love won't pay my bills, I want money.
4: the album version is definitely different than the single version but it's yeah. the fine Lizards are great like that that album the album that money's on uh, is fucking awesome it's a very it's an underrated band in I, my opinion
3: I do recall the one album I had called Empire Records Soundtrack <laughs> and I believe that was featured on it it's great it's a great album so yeah Vivian Goldman she uh, she wrote an article because she was she was going around trying to find like women in punk you know trying to find the next thing so she featured the slits in an article in December 1976. That is before they even played a show. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, but it didn't matter. That's the thing. They Even though they haven't even done a gig yet, that didn't matter because what matters is that they're there in the middle of it and doing it.
4: Yeah, they're fucking doing it and doing it hard. Yeah. <clears throat>
3: And so, like, you know, they were saying, uh, I mean, they're very young. They're teenage kids uh, in early 20s as well. So they were saying things like, we don't want to make people think a certain way. We just want to make people think. Yeah. I was like, well, well, that's pretty good, actually. That's not bad.
0: Not bad for a 15-year-old.
4: That's very good for a 15-year-old. No, Ari was smart as shit. She was a smart kid.
0: Hop, hop, hooray.
4: Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday,
0: March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find?
1: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block.
4: the article still caught the attention of East Berlin's Nina Hagen, who was doing her own super weird shit and saw the slits as like-minded individuals. And because of this, Nina became a part of the scene. Nina Hagen is so good.
5: <laughs> yes again, Radio everyone, with our <laughs> Oh, I'm
2: sorry. You have to turn on the machine. This is Radio Yerevan, my name is Hans Ivanovich Hagen, and this is the news.
4: Yeah, and if you're thinking right now that uh, it's like, oh, wow, like that just sounds like Tom Waits. Uh, That was five years before Tom Waits was doing all that weird shit. Like that was a long, long time before. Back when that came out in 1978, like Tom Waits was still singing with Bette Midler. Doing a fucking great job with it. Yeah, (laughs) doing a great job. (laughs) Like fucking love Foreign Affairs. That's one of my favorite Tom Waits albums. But, you know, Nina Nina Hagen is an influence on Tom Waits. Tom Waits is not an influence on Nina Hagen. It's fucking great. You see? (laughs) (laughs) But it wasn't just the Slits who were getting press. Another band, still in its infancy, that got covered was a theoretical band called the Castrators. And the leader of that band was Tessa Pollitt. And all this was covered in an article that also featured the Slits in a rag called News of the World
3: yeah luckily uh, that shut down <laughs> took a while <laughs> but yeah they, they had the article on the castrators there they said these girls make the sex pistols look like choir boys Ooh. because they you know it, they, would, they would they would say so many things like you know they would ask like hi what do you think about dating well I don't know like I'll fuck them or leave them
6: <laughs> <laughs>
3: and the thing is like Tessa is 17 yeah. 16 17 at this time and then the next week when the news of the world article came out Tessa's dad Checked it out <laughs> and saw that that was his his little girl.
5: Right, so yeah, let oh, right, see so yeah, what little Tessie's up to. oh my! No,
3: no. <laughs> she like tried to call him up and said, "Hey, Dad, Dad," and he just refused to call. Like he was pissed. Yeah, and Tessa's like, "I guess I'm all in now."
4: <laughs> now the mention of Tessa and the castrators caught the eye of the Slits, who were looking for a new bass player because Susie Gutsy was going a little too hard on the drinky drinky
3: can't drink during rehearsals. Everyone knows that. Oh, you don't know that. (laughs) Everyone else knows that. I
4: I learned that eventually. (laughs) (laughs) So Ari contacted Tessa, kicked out Susie, and Tessa dropped out of college to join the Slits as bassist, and she was the bassist for the Slits from then on. She's all in. All in. Tessa moved into Nora's house, and two weeks later, the Slits were playing their first gig, at Harlesden Coliseum with the Clash, Subway Sect, and the Buzzcocks.
7: I just wanna love a like any other What do I get? I only wanna make a state to the end. What do I get? What do I get? Oh, what do I get? What do I get? i in distress, I need a caress, what do I get? I'm gonna make it, I just need a break, what do I get? What do I get?
3: Believe it. The Slits played with all those guys. Yeah. I mean, the, first the, show. The first show. <laughs> and that's the crazy thing. Tessa was like, "Yeah, I got in the band, and then two weeks later we had a gig, but that meant for those two weeks I had to learn how to play bass." Yeah. That's crazy.
4: Yeah. yeah. I mean, the Slits were. I mean, they were still finding out who the fuck they were. Like they were still figuring out the whole. Package at that point. Everyone was still kind of learning how to play their instruments. But yeah. everybody in the scene was still kind of learning how to play their instruments. Like, remember The Clash? Like, the reason why their album came out after The Damned was because The Clash didn't know how to play their fucking instruments yet.
3: Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. There was a lot of breathing room. So, like, you, you could put together a gig and you could, you could just go play. Yeah. Like, why not? Fuck it. So, that's what they did. March 10th, 1977. That was their first gig. They made it on the flyer. Yeah. <laughs> really cool. Sometimes <laughs> I don't make it on the flyer, <laughs> and Ari, she wore like this beige like Mac trench coat, you know, and she was like playing with it, like kind of opening it, like a you know like a dirty old man, like in the park or something, mm-hmm. and like singing, stamp- stamping her foot, dancing, like it per- she was perfect.
4: Yeah, and, and, pa- and she's fifteen. Yes, <laughs> she doesn't give a crap what anyone thinks,
3: and Paul Olive was like playing like ferociously like she didn't know at that time that you had to secure the drums to the floor
4: <laughs> Yo, she didn't put the rug down
3: the, the thing I don't know the thing yeah the, the drums so they were like moving away from her as she's like playing and so she has to grab it and bring it back in time to hit it back again and Ari's yelling at her like you're out of the beat and and Palmolive is screaming back like I'm doing the best I can <laughs> whacking her drumsticks and everyone thought it was an act <laughs> <laughs> but, really, they were just trying to deal with the situation, and that's what Paul always says, like we drove each other crazy we were, <laughs> but we draw we we're crazy girls, but re- we really like sisters i I love Paul right. she's, she's great
4: she's uh, fantastic yeah yeah, yeah paul Palmol, Paul is awesome
3: but but yeah, the band they had trouble playing the song at the same time, you know, when do we come in together and all that stuff, or even the even playing the actual song yeah. <laughs> correctly. And uh, but you know what a lot of people liked it Vivian Goldman said like you have to see this band yeah. and Mark Perry from Sniffin' Glue he called them mad noisy brilliant
4: hell yeah, yeah and just and remember like most punk bands their first show was like this remember what we were talking about with the Ramones their first show was fucking awful remember Joey Ramone like <laughs> fell down the stairs
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to play going out
5: in the basement
3: <laughs> we're playing loud <loudmouthed. laughs> I <laughs> uh, just no. referred to the Ramones series.
4: <laughs> yeah, of course. No, it's like this is not this is not new in the punk <laughs> scene. Like this is pretty fucking typical for a first show. Now, as Carolina said, in the crowd during that show was Viv Albertine. And Viv Albertine, she definitely went there to go and see The Slits. Uh, but she also, you know, went there to support Mick Jones. You yeah, know? her boyfriend. Like, yeah, her boyfriend. But And that's just that's so insane to me to think, like, you know, these bands that we think of as, like, just huge institutions. You know, you think of The Clash like you think of the fucking Shea Stadium show. You know, you don't think of, like, Mick Jones being like, um, babe, I'm like real nervous about this show. Like, do you think you could like come and like just watch? Like just watch it from the crowd. Like I just I don't know if anyone's gonna come and like I'm like super nervous. Like, <laughs> like you don't think about that, you know?
3: Yeah, I mean I get it. Like I remember I come see your show, yeah. you know, and there would be like thirty people there, and then you come see my show and there'd be like about good six people. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Like you go, you, you support.
4: Go. You go and you support, yeah. Yeah, no, I remember like doing like a hundred people and calling you and be like, babe, I don't know, I'm so fun fucking nervous like maybe I'm projecting a little bit here but I'm just going back into memory but yeah it's the way it fucking goes but even still Viv hey she'd already turned down an earlier offer to be in the slits because you know Paloma and Viv had been in the Flowers of Romance together but after seeing the slits live Viv decided she wanted to be a part of it only problem was what are they gonna do with Kate Chorus?
3: right I mean well that's the thing like When Viv went to go see the slits, she was like, this is actually a lot better than I thought it would be because when she was first asked, uh, she was like, I don't want to be in an all-girl band. That sounds too much of a gimmick. Yeah. You know? Uh, she even thought it'd be cooler to be in a co-ed band because that's a thing that people didn't normally do unless I, it was like the Brady Bunch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, unless you were related. <laughs> girls and boys didn't really mix in bands. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think she was talking to Chrissy Hind and she was like saying, yeah, these girls want to be in a band with me, but, you know, I said forget it and Chrissy hind Like, you
2: what?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well, like, at this time, like Chrissy Hine, I guess she was maybe a year out from like being in Masters of the Backside with Dave oh, uh, yeah. Vanian you know like the pretenders weren't really a thing just yet no, like yet. yeah <laughs> like has like what the fuck are you of course go be in the band yeah. what are, you, are you crazy
3: she's like if you don't do it I will <laughs> yeah. so Viv the next day after that show she calls him up and she's like hey on second thought uh can I can I come and hang out and they're like yeah yeah come by and then they hang, hang up and Ari and Tessa are like ha now she's in to it I knew it I knew she'd like us (laughs) oh my god and so you know that's what happened like Viv showed up to a rehearsal and so she sat down with them and they they started like kind of jamming together even though no one really knew what they were doing which actually made Viv feel better yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then Ari showed her the chords to a song that they jammed a few times let's do the splits
4: yeah and this song actually shows you like what the slits sounded like back then back in the very beginning which was a lot closer to capital P-Punk. great let's do the split and i'll shit on it
3: yeah i like it because they're aggressive you know they play their hearts out like not like anyone else they're not trying to be feminine like when ari sang she used her real voice not like a soft breathy lilt which is fine but that's not what they wanted no and but they're also not trying to be dudes you know they're not like grabbing their crotches and spitting (laughs) they were they, they were just themselves and that's i that's so fucking cool So anyway so (laughs) As a woman As a woman
4: Woman. Yeah 20 bucks (laughs) I thought it was really fucking cool Well it's cool Especially in 1976 Like this is a big fucking deal back then Like a bunch of girls yelling I'll shit on it It's like (laughs) (laughs) Like that's a big That's cool as shit It's it's, Did I say it's brave It's brave It's very brave It's very brave. brave (laughs)
3: But yeah I mean if you watch some of the You can watch some of the footage on YouTube or even On the documentary like the audience are Into it yeah they're loving it I mean it's great Music
4: it's really fucking good
3: And so Viv felt so comfortable With them when they were rehearsing And you know it was just only a few weeks of them like kind Of practicing together when they're like oh yeah You're definitely in the band yeah (laughs) but Like this is the first time like she could actually show Them like songs she's written because when She was in the flowers of romance with Sid because Sid was so always so judgmental of about every little thing. Yeah, because he's an asshole. You know, you ever have that friend who finds that one thing about you and just, like, picks at it? Like, Even if you have, like, the smallest booger on your nose. <laughs> they're not like, hey, dude, you know, you got something yeah. here. No, they, they laugh at you and make sure the entire room knows about it. That was Sid Vicious.
4: Yeah, fuck that guy.
3: Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so she felt comfortable. So she started showing them a few songs, and they're like, wow, this is actually really good. And the first song that she showed them, that she actually wrote about Sid Vicious, (laughs) was called So
4: Tough. And this song was eventually recorded for uh, their debut album. Because, you know, the last song, Let's Do the Split, uh, that was never released, actually. But this is what the slits eventually ended up sounding like. (laughs) (laughs) Different. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so array. different they are. Yeah, and we'll, we'll uh, of course, uh, get into over the course of the series uh, how they went from let's do the split to so tough. It's a hell of a story. So how did Kate handle all this? Not
3: great. <laughs> Not great. They were just like, sorry, Kate, you're out. That was it. That yeah. was really it. I mean, they really, I think they just wanted Viv the whole time. Yeah. And then once they cinched her... Kate Chorus was out.
4: Yeah. And, you know, Kate, even though she only got to play one gig with one of the most fucking revolutionary bands of the 70s, she did all right for herself. You know, she went on to play in a pretty solid band. Uh, They only released a couple singles, but those singles are fucking great. It's called The (laughs) Modets. Uh, released on Rough Trade. You know. Oh
3: yeah, I know Rough Trade.
4: Yeah, and, yeah, Kate, I think she ended up eventually getting out of music, but as far as it looked like in the documentary, she looks like she lives on a nice farm now.
3: She's doing great. Yeah. She looks great.
4: Yeah, she does. Now when Viv came into the band, she brought a whole new set of influences that would change the direction of the slits entirely, because Viv was friends with Don Lutz, the manager of Acme Attractions' and the man guaranteed to be in any documentary about the British punk scene.
3: Yeah, his his calendar is full. (laughs) (laughs) He is definitely the guy you go to to uh, ask him, how was the scene back then? Well, (laughs) do you have a lighter? I'm going to tell you.
4: I mean, one, he's willing to talk. And two, he fucking tells a great story. He always knows how to tell the fucking story. And he knew everybody. Yes.
3: I mean, well, he was, uh, yeah, he was running Acme Attractions, which is a cool spot. Like a lot of people would go in and out of there, you know, like Sex Pistols, Damn the Slits, everybody.
4: Yeah, I mean, Acme Attractions was kind of like the counterpart to Malcolm McLaren's uh, sex store. Let I me mean, not say it wasn't a sex shop. No, uh, but it was a clothing store. It was a clothing store called Sex. But, like, Acme Attractions was kind of the, uh, it was the, the counterpart to that. It was just another one of those places where punks would hang out.
3: Yeah. Well, Don Letts, he was uh, DJing at the Roxy. He was hanging out with the punks. You know, that's how he met Viv Albertine. Because, I mean, he, well, first of all, like his family came from Jamaica. He was the first British born of his family. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of felt like a little bit of a kingship with the with the, with the the punks, you know. And when he was DJing at the D- Roxy, he made friends with a lot of people, including Viv Albertine. And, you know, he would give her like bus fare because he's like, I can't let this 21-year-old girl go off in the world without any money whatsoever. My God. <laughs> That's the thing. He was a nice guy. He was a gentleman. He he actually could spot talent, even if they had no talent yet. <laughs> That's an amazing thing to know.
4: Yeah, the dude had an eye for it, you know. And as you said, like he was a DJ at the Roxy. The Roxy was where a lot of the early, very early punk shows uh, took place. And as, also, as you said, like Don Lutz was, you know, his parents were Jamaican, and at that time there were no punk records to play. Yeah, like,
3: they're they're <laughs> trying to make them, you know?
4: Yeah, like they were trying to make them at the time. You know, because that's, that's the thing, is that reggae and dub were actually huge. And the British punk scene, and that's the reason why, is because of DJs like Don Letts, because there were no punk records to play, and you could only listen to David Bowie so fucking much. You know, oh, <laughs> you know, like, oh yeah, you could only listen to DJ so fu- you could only listen to David Bowie so fucking much. Like Don Letts would play reggae and dub artists that the British kids never would have heard otherwise, and they fucking loved it. <laughs> I would say reggae and dub is a bit of an intimidating genre to get into.
3: Especially if you're a bunch of British people
4: who are trying to figure out,
3: how do we dance to this? Because that must have been very tough.
4: (laughs) Well, I mean, if uh, those of you out there, like, if if the only reggae you know is uh, fucking Bob Marley and you don't like it, like, I get it because Bob Marley is, you know, Bob Marley. It's a little played out. It's a little played out. Like, you just you grow up with it, but... There is so much fucking good reggae out there And if you want to get into it Get like a little bit of an introduction to it uh, There is a compilation that just came out Called Scorcha Skins, Suedes, and Stopped from the Streets 1967 and 1973 Uh, It is a wonderful uh, document of uh, reggae Like rare uh, reggae and dub from that time period Uh, And if you want to listen to it Go check out the playlist from this show that, you know, every single episode, I mean, that's the thing, we haven't mentioned this in a long time. Yeah, we forgot. We forgot. Sorry, we
3: always, when, when, by the time we're done, we're so revved up <laughs> that we yeah. just kind of like leave and forget to stop recording sometimes.
4: Yeah, every single episode has a corresponding playlist uh, over on my Spotify profile. So just type in my name on Spotify, search for it, and you'll find a corresponding playlist that goes with every single episode that we've done, that gathers every song that we've played. That's available uh, on Spotify. Sometimes you might have to go to youtube for that uh rare sled song you got to go to youtube for that but otherwise it's all fucking there so please go check it out yeah and of course you know back to reggae for a bit those songs that the punks listened to at shows became songs that the punks would listen to at home and some of those reggae songs would in turn be covered by bands like the clash with the utmost respect and admiration Furthermore, the punks and the sons and daughters of Jamaican immigrants related to each other over a shared experience of being poor and being considered less than in British society. And thus, a community of respect was formed, and also the Jamaicans always had wheat. Yeah, do you even need to ask? <laughs> and in the words of Don Letts, that definitely helped. <laughs> <laughs> as far as the slits went, though, Don Letts was their first manager, although that was more in name than in practice. It was more in a support role.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, he did help them out, especially for their first tour and everything. And I think he lasted about six weeks.
4: I think the Slits had 13 managers in about three years. Yeah,
3: yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they really did.
4: But nevertheless, Don Letts brought reggae and dub to the Slits. And with the original members and necessary influences in place, the band was set to take off. And that's where we'll pick back up for part two.
3: Yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. Oh,
4: man, because we're going to get in a cut. We're going to get into Return of the Giant Slits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to get into the albums because the, the, the slits, do not. they did not have a very long career. Uh, so we're going to get into all that in uh, the next episode. We were going to do uh, all of this in one episode, but-
3: I fell down the stairs <laughs> because I was because the UPS guy was ringing the door. But do I have to? Okay, fine. He was ringing the doorbell, and I put on my stormtrooper, you know, pajama slippers, uh-huh. and I start running down the stairs because he's he's looking at his watch, and I can see him walk away, and I'm like, no. And then I just I, I fell down the full flight. Marcus, I I called you. I mm-hmm. uh, I asked you to come over. You ran over from uh, the, the studio and it took me to urgent care. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you very Alan, of much for that. Yes. And and, uh, and luckily, uh, no, no internal injuries, nope. no nothing. Just a huge huge bruise on my butt
4: yeah all
3: the way up my back just think like a league of their own
4: yeah well yeah. you were laid you know, up when she
3: slides into home <laughs> that's exactly Marcus tell them about my butt
4: It's br- it looks like a side of beef <laughs>
3: thank you thank you <laughs>
6: anyway
4: uh, but no you were laid up you were laid up in bed for days because you yeah. injured your back that was the big thing yeah so, uh, so we, we were
3: apologize this is coming out a little late but yeah. we're getting this. we're getting it done no matter
4: what yes we, we're getting it done no fucking matter what so so, wow. You're welcome. <laughs> you know who I'm talking to. You, you you know who I'm talking to. You if you're listening, you know I'm talking to you. <laughs> yeah.
3: So uh, so we don't have a, a new band of the week that we usually play every no. single week. We like to play a song. Uh, if so, if you know if you're in a band or you're just a guy or a girl or anybody who just uh has a song that you can send through Spotify, Bandcamp, YouTube, whatever whatever you got, uh, you can send it to us on No Dogs in Space at gmail.com and every single week we will... Play a song Just this week It just It didn't really quite
4: it, well, look, There were
3: other things We were worried about
4: Let's put a, an amendment to that Every week that Carolina Doesn't fall down the yeah, stairs We'll it. have It, it
3: was just the one time <laughs> <laughs> We'll have it again We live in a Brooklyn apartment All the stairs are so deep You need like grappling hooks I mean it's just It's a very steep staircase We knew someone was gonna fall
4: Very st- Yes we knew someone Was gonna fall eventually We just didn't think It would be one of us <laughs> yeah. Right, well, so ashamed. No, you- oh, don't be ashamed, darling. It was an accident that could have happened to anybody. Uh, all right, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Again, you know, if you want to uh, check out playlists from every single episode of No Dogs in Space, go check out uh, my Spotify profile. Uh, all of the playlists are out there. Uh, thank y'all so much for listening, and uh, we'll see y'all next week for part two of the slits.
0: Goodbye. Goodbye. Price drop. Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last.
1: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks?